But once a person is made alive, there's a crucifixion of the soul that takes place. I don't deserve to live. There's nothing in me that's worth living. I exist for the pleasure of God. I live to fulfill His will and subject myself to His Lordship. That's Christianity. Welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would give me grace as I consider the letters to the Galatians by the Apostle Paul. I ask, Lord, that you would give my hearers uh, ears to hear with, eyes to see with, a heart to understand. Lord, we all need that, so to ask for that so much. Because we live in a, on a battlefield, we live in a war zone against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, who are born again, who have received of your spirit the truth and life eternal. I, I pray, dear Lord, that you would grant us to walk in the truth as we consider these things. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this uh, letter to Paul, we uh, want to consider particularly this opening statement in verse one, and uh, carry it through the epistle. And the reason I want to do that, not to force something where it doesn't belong, is because there's a reason for him making this statement, which actually does naturally carry out in chapters one and two, and really to the end of the book, when you, when, when, as we think of this. And, uh, you know, I, I have to stop for a minute and just say to anyone listening here, you know, life is not easy. Uh, Christ didn't promise it to be easy. If anything, the reverse. He said, you know, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. I mean, if they persecute the master, what are they going to do with the slave? You know, there's no promise of an easy life here. This, but this life is so short, it's not about complaining about it not being easy. I mean, Paul's perspective was... You know, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in and to us. I mean, it's a glory inside because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. God has taken up residence within us, and that's glory. We may not feel it or see it or, or understand it, certainly to the depths that we will, but we will. And with that perspective, who cares about this life? Yeah, it's hard. So what? And particularly hard for me and anyone as, you, as we continue to mature, as we continue to study the scriptures, we continue to understand, we come across things that are particularly difficult because they're not the way we would like them. And I think that's the best way that I can state that. 
that they're not the way, and what am I talking about? I'm talking about, in one passage I was recently reading from Mark's Gospel, and it said that the Lord was indignant. He saw what was going on, and he was indignant about it. I looked it up, did a little research, and the difference between anger and indignant is indignant is you're angry for everyone else. Anger, you know, be angry and don't sin, is when the indignant, and indignant is angry, but it's angry for everybody how they're being hurt. And it becomes sin when we become angry personally for ourselves. Jesus wasn't angry when they were driving the nails into his hands and into his feet. He wasn't angry when he was suffering the beatings and the scourging and crown of thorns in his head. Sink deep into his skin. Blood everywhere. I mean, he was just a raw piece of meat that was beat and disgusting what happened to him. And he wasn't personally angry about that. He was actually bearing, beginning to bear, from noon on, from the Father, the penalty for our sins. When he was taking the beating from the men, that was their sin on him. I mean, they were placing it. They're punishing God. That's what we do in sin. We punish God. We want to punish God. We want to put him to death. And so he was bearing that without anger, um, knowing he was becoming the sin bearer, and he would from noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and so that anger is sinful when we look at things the way they're not supposed to be, and we just take God's place. The Father poured out the anger. God pours out the anger and will for all eternity on those who are not forgiven by His grace. I mean, that's just a fact of Scripture that cannot be denied, even though it's easy to want to deny it because we can't comprehend it. We can't, can, cannot comprehend the justice of God. But it is righteous and it's holy because shall not the God of all the world, earth, do right? Yes, he only does right. He's righteous without compromise, with, without anything fi- making it finite. It's an infinite righteousness. Um, and that's clearly declared over and over in the book of truth, which is the word of God. So what am I talking about specifically? Is I'm talking specifically about the church. And I've been writing about it, and I've been thinking about it, and I was thinking this morning, and this is turning into a long testimony, but I was thinking this morning that when I spent three years going through writing the manuscript for the Jesus you need to know, I mean, that was a, that was a, a period of time that I just was musing on thinking about meditating over the Word of God, in particular, Jesus, his personhood, his, his character, his will, his intentions, his plans, I mean, his reactions as a man, all of that, his eternality as high priest, 
just it was it was weighing on my thoughts and my mind so much and i realized that a lot of what i'm experiencing now in the way of understanding about the church for instance it's it's a hard, it's a heavy weight to carry if you want to pray for me pray that i would give this weight to christ to bear you know you read about charles spurgeon and and I'm sure this is true of all godly men. Certainly was about Luther and, and Calvin. And everyone has their cross to bear. And it's a cross to bear when we see things that are the will of God not being carried out by God's people. And we're one of them. And we're part of it. And that's where the, the anger can either go into sin or it can get placed on God who bore it on the cross and let him be the judge and just walk away from it and, and be at peace and joy, letting him be God. And we just have this perspective and this, this sight that's not pretty, and so we let it go. We let it go. And I need to let it go. But I need to speak about it as well, and that's why I'm speaking here. So in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. There are a great many things that we can love about the Word of God, that it's truth, that it's, it's perfect. One of the things we can love is how deep it is. I mean, it, it's so simple that a baby can understand it if the Spirit of God is, is working in a child. But as simple as it is, that's how deep it goes beyond human comprehension. A man could never write. Here, I'm, why I'm bringing that up is because here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men. Why is he saying this? What impact will it have on our lives? What impact did it have on his life? What can we learn from this? Nor through the agency of man. No, no agency, no institution, and let's include the institution of the church. And I'm not saying that the church is not an institution of, uh, of God. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't authorities and uh, entities set up within the church that we should ignore. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is what Paul wrote. What Paul wrote was that as an apostle, he was not sent from men or the agency of men. Now, he's using two, two terms here, which one is directly from man himself, but then there's the agency. You know, in philosophy, there's primary and secondary causes. Man's walking. We know that in him we live and move and have our being. We move in God. He's the primary cause. He uh, created legs for walking, and so that's the secondary cause, and the primary and secondary. Paul here is using a preposition when he says agency, and it, be, it basically means a cross, like across a diameter from one to the other. Um, but the primary preposition is denoting the channel of an act. So he would be pointing to the legs. And so it includes the secondary cause. Paul's saying, I'm not sent for men, primary cause, as in God alone is the primary cause, nor an agency of man as even the secondary cause. Paul is saying here, that he was an apostle without an agency. 
he became an apostle directly from God. There was no intervention. There was no secondary cause. There's just, just God. Now that's something that we are so removed from because we live in a world with all these secondary agencies that are used by God to accomplish his will because he chooses to, not because he has to. God does what he wants completely. But Paul's making a point here for a reason. There's no, I didn't come from men. And so as we, as we go down further in this chapter, he starts in verse 13 and he says, look, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Where Paul started is where Paul continued. He started in guilt and the awareness that he was a Pharisee and he was willing to kill people because it didn't measure up to his traditions of religion. And that's been persecution in the church, and that's where he started. He started as a persecutor. And he tried to destroy the church, and he was willing to kill Stephen, and he was willing to kill anybody and everybody in order to do away with God in Christ. And that's what he carries with him. And so in, in going on, that's what he says here, in chapter 1, for you heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions, not God, not the word of God, not truth. That's not where he began. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now think about it. God separated him in his mother's womb. He still had to be, he still became this pharisaical murderer. And I don't think we should back away from anything the Bible says about anyone, both good and bad in the Bible. It's there for a reason. Paul was a murderer. Did he have godly intentions? No. How do you, how can you read that in? You, there's no reason to make Paul better in our own eyes. For what reason? We are people who need to walk and live consistently and constantly by the truth. Not our truth, not a truth that we make up, but the truth as we read it in God's word. And God's word makes it very, very clear here. And he carries it on to the end of his days, who he was apart from Christ, and God made known the transformation in his life through the word of God, where he stood with the Bible, where he stood with the brethren, where he stood with God. He was a man, he was a giant of a man. We don't have to change anything, just let it say what it says. So he starts off at, for a reason because he's he's already told us in the first verse, I was an apostle and I wasn't sent by men. Let us let us read on. So when it pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now flesh and blood is would be the apostles, would be the brethren. He didn't consult. You know, I need your help to understand what's going on here. No. 
nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Can it be more clear than that? But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then after three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. No big biggie. We got introduced to each other. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Where did he get this? Where did he get this? He got it from God. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God in me. Then after an interview of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also, and it was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. He wasn't sure how they were going to respond to all of this. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Paul had nothing to do with circumcision. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. He identified the false brethren. He wasn't, it didn't go over his head. He didn't miss it. He understood exactly what was going on. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour for, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, that, they, that, that makes no difference to me. And these are the false men who came in of the circumcision. This is not the apostles. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked in Peter, in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles as they to the circumcised. They only ask that remember the poor, the very thing that I also was eager to do. So what's clear here is that Paul's apostleship was on a completely different level than, than what we would think of as a person who learns in the faith from others. He didn't receive it from men, nor an institution of men. Now, there's a, there's a difference here, and I want to make this clear. I'm going to try to. When a person becomes a Christian, the, the admonition from Jesus is to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, that's an instrumentality. That's God using a person where he doesn't have to. He didn't have to do that with Peter, with Paul. Paul, even during his life, received revelations. He's brought up to the third heaven. I mean, he, he's a man who's speaking to God and God's speaking directly to him. And there's no in-between people. And there's two things that have to be understood here. One, that when there's no in-between, like Paul, that's an apostleship. But w- when we learn from other people and we can learn for good or we can learn for evil, 
But when we learn for good, when we're discipled with the truth, when we're not misled as these people who came in to spy out their liberty so they might bring them into bondage, and by the time he gets to the end of the book, you know, he, he's saying they want to do this because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to suffer the cross the way Christ did. They're false apostles. They don't want to put their life to death. They don't want to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They don't want to say, you know, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now, by, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That crucified life, a false prophet doesn't, doesn't know, experience. He, it's not part of who he is because he's not saved. It takes salvation where a person is redeemed by the grace of God that has nothing to do with him. God takes that weight, that penalty of sin upon himself. And out of gratitude, we serve. We serve out of gratitude because we've been saved from an eternal hell. False prophets know nothing of them. So Paul is being spoken to by God and in the normal arena of life, discipleship to some degree has to take place. And this is where we have to be careful. Because he says, look, he wasn't taught from men nor the agency of man. And he understood the agency and he understood like John to what extent that agency goes. Now, I don't think all men do understand that. Why? Sin blinds the eyes. Pride makes us blind to what we would otherwise know. When we become a Christian, we become spiritually alive. Before that, we're dead. And in that death, there's no ability to see. We go through the motions. We're a machine, a lustful machine, a proud machine that just functions for self, self-absorbed, self-centered. It's all sin. For this, people spend eternity in hell for wanting to put God to death and live for self. I want to be God. I deserve to be God. I mean, where do you get much more pride than that? And that's the existence of sinful people. But once a person is made alive, there's a crucifixion of the soul that takes place. I don't deserve to live. There's nothing in me that's worth living. I exist for the pleasure of God. I live to fulfill his will and subject myself to his lordship. That's Christianity. Not to get the next car or the next house or the next job or the next position of authority where God can look at people can look at me as God. No, no, no. That's not Christianity. So there's this pride in ourselves that Paul didn't have because, first of all, like the apostles, he was crushed under the weight of his sin. The apostles were crushed at the cross when they forsook the Son of God in his hour of need, which is hard to comprehend because he's God, but he was made a man. And as a man, he had a need that we can't comprehend. And they weren't there for that. And they were crushed and they became apostles. And the apostle Paul was a Pharisee and was willing to destroy the church of God and he was crushed under the weight of who he was. And then God elevates him and makes him an apostle 
and, and carries them through shipwrecking and beatings and all of that to maintain that humility. And in maintaining that humility, he comes back and he gives testimony throughout the Word of God in, a, in such a humble way, in a way in which he's able to share that, look, I was separated for that purpose. In time, yes, I became an apostle by the hand of God, struck down on the road, you know, saw a vision, started with visions. It was direct. There was no instrumentality in it. Now, where we lose sight in our Christian walk to what the instrumentality is, as we start to see, we, we don't get a clear picture of dividing line between what men do in discipleship and what God does in rebirth, in taking up residence in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, and, and giving us the ability to absorb biblical truth. I mean, these are two distinctly separate things that take place in us. One for us through the agency of men. So I go to school, I sit in class, and they, they teach me that the Bible went through centuries of being, of the church lost the gospel completely, and men started to interpret scripture through mysticism, spirituality, allegories, all of these systems that made the Bible say anything but what God meant it to say. I'm sitting in class, I'm learning from a man, and if I'm humble enough to learn from the man, then I understand, oh, so when I read the Bible, I have to take it for what it says. Unless there's a metaphor in there, but the metaphor, we know how God uses metaphors, and we're not really a, a building. The church isn't a building of brick and mortar, but oh, it's fitting together, and people are fitting together, and it's, it's making the building of God. It's the body of Christ. Those are metaphors, and so we understand how God uses metaphors to give us understanding, and we don't interpret well, the Bible allegorically, a, my, a meaning behind a meaning. No, no, no. It means what it says it means. It doesn't mean it the way a metaphor says it, but when it says there's a thousand-year millennium in Revelation, you can't interpret it any other way because otherwise you have no idea what it means. You have to interpret it literally. And so that's where the Reformation brought the truth to light. And people started to understand that salvation is by grace alone. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. Very clear. And so I begin to read and I start to study. And God speaks to me out of his word as I take it literally. And it means what it means. And bam, I mean, it's just revelation after revelation after revelation. That's for every child of God. When they're willing to learn and how to learn and then set the time aside and don't only read, but study. And study and study and study until they get into that place of maturity. And right from the beginning, we should be maturing. And right from the beginning, we should be learning that we need to disciple other people. And that's all been cut off. Why has it been cut off? Because of chapter 1 and verse 1 of Galatians. Part of the reason it's much more complicated and, and we can exhaust this through the scripture. Paul, an apostle not sent from men. 
nor through the agency of men. Now, men are an agency in the sense of we are a means of discipling other people. And we make very important points and we show the gospel where they might be struggling to understand it in the outset. And we bring people to maturity. We bring them through the book of Romans. We show them the major doctrines. We give them identification and justification and sanctification. And we make clear all of these things so that they can do their own work and they become mature people in the church and the church is a building of disciples. But that gets cut off, much like the circumcision that Paul complains about in chapter 2. And he, he said, you know, he went there to the apostles and Peter, and he's, he's siding with these Judaizers, and, you know, he's missing the point, and he had to straighten them out, and Peter was humble enough to be straightened out, and he gave them the, the fellowship, and all of this went on, and it stayed a unified church because these were apostles, and even though they were imperfect people like we all are, uh, they had a humility about them that kept made the church what, what it was supposed to be. Today we, we lose that because what they were as disciples was uh, hungry for place in the kingdom. And that's why at the Lord's Supper, when the Lord is trying to share with them who he... Uh, you know, what he's going to do and what's going to happen to him and he's not really going anywhere and he's going to send the Holy Spirit and all of that teaching that's coming about and what are they doing? You know, he tells them at one point, one of you is going to betray me and each one of them starts in this huge amount of pride, surely not I. Now, no Apostle Paul, no Apostle Peter or anyone of the Apostles, after they were crushed under the weight of their sin would ever say again, surely not I. Not going to happen. Why? They had too, too much clarity as to how wretched they were, how wicked they were, how sinful they were, how proud they were. Surely not I got turned very quickly into who was greatest in the kingdom of God. Now let me tell you about the institutions of men. In our day, the institutions of men, the agency of men, isn't discipleship in our own minds, in our hearts, in our activity as church people. It's not that. No, the institution is seminary. The institution is the pastorate as a separate entity separating pulpit from pew, making a, a minister, you know, something different than the member. And these separations build up people. And they're built up when a man goes to seminary and he learns himself to be something. So that he goes back rather than forward. Instead of going forward in humility, instead of being crushed at the cross and staying there, we, we get built up so that we think we're somebody. And I'm the one who has to teach and you have to listen. And I'm imparting knowledge. See, in discipleship, you don't impart knowledge. <laughs> what do you mean? You just said that you do. What we do is we share knowledge. Only God can impart knowledge. I can talk all day long, and we all know this. We talk to people, and you can, we make sayings up. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Oh, but we can impart knowledge, right? No, you can't impart knowledge any more than you can make somebody drink. You can give them the water. 
You can show them the book. You can explain until you, you can't talk anymore, until you gum numb in your tongue. But you can't impart knowledge. But we think we can because of pride. We become something in seminary. Or we think we become something. Paul, an apostle not sent from men. God does the sending. God does the separating. God does the saving. God imparts his Holy Spirit for these things. We can't impart the Spirit. We don't. We're not one with the Spirit. Christ sends the Spirit. We don't. Nor through the agency of man. Why is there division in the church today? I'll give you the answer real quick. Seminaries. I've asked numerous people in recent days, why are there seminaries? And you know what they say to forward the thinking of the denomination? You know, I, I, I've, I've really, it grips my heart and, and, and it, it, it numbs me, you know, and it penetrates me. The idea of what the devil has done over the ages, over generations, and how he has instilled tradition into the church just exactly the way he did in Israel, instilled traditions that are so ingrained in people's minds and thoughts over so many years that it's like, this is what the church is. No! The church, in the early days, the church was something completely different. It was a, it was a, it was a gathering of church. There was no buildings. They went to the temple to evangelize. They got persecuted at the temple. They loved one another in the home. The apostles couldn't, uh, could not disciple thousands, ten thousands of people in Jerusalem during that time. I mean, the historian of the day said there's a huge amount in Jerusalem that was came to Christ, having seen him died on the cross and reckoning their sin, and God taking the Holy Spirit and rebirthing them through that brokenness. And they were broken people. It was revival of soul. And they sold their houses and they gave to everybody who had need, the people who couldn't go back home because they'd, they'd die right away. And persecution would eventually come. But they just loved each other and they gave and they gave and they gave. I mean, the one who gives, you know, be, be willing to share all things, it says in the scripture. Why? Because... That's the right thing to do because we're, we're loving each other out of, out of appreciation for what Christ did for us. Is that the church today or is it an institution? Excuse me, institutions don't send people and there was only 12 apostles and there's only 12 names on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem but everyone is sent of God. Everyone is born again of God. Everyone becomes a child and is given the authority as a child of God by God. No one can impart that. Churches don't send people. They can confirm, this seems to be a godly man. I see, I think I'm seeing the fruit in their life. And how many people fall later on, you realize they weren't even really Christians. That's the extent we can do is we can see fruit or think we see fruit, we can't judge anyone's heart. I mean, Samuel's is right. I mean, you know, man sees on the outward appearance. God sees on the heart. So we can confirm maybe what we think we see in people and with the most discerning of spirit if we fast and we pray and if we seek God together 
You know, we can make better decisions. And in that humility, we send. We don't send, we confirm. God and God alone does the sending. And God does the imparting. There's the, the agency of man doesn't exist so far as what's understood today. That's the point of this, this teaching today. It's, it's a teaching that's just all bound up in this concept from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. It ends with apostle as only applying to Paul. But all people are sent. This is the point. All people are born again. All people who become believers, who become children of God, do so by God. That's the point. How it works out in how we live our life is we back away. This should go church-wide. And it's a hard concept because traditions are so strong. And we see, but this is going on like this for five centuries, you know, since the Reformation. Yes, but not 2,000, not 20 centuries, okay? (laughs) Five. The church was lost completely for 900 years. Men started to, to believe things like the treasury of merit, and, uh, and some people, saints were so good that they took the, God took the extra good and he put it in a box and he saved it to get them out of purgatory. I mean, these kinds of teachings, and there's so many, just, you know, you want to hold on to those? We, we want to continue those for the rest of the, or do we want to stop, back away, see, wait a minute, what, what really is the church? What makes it work? You know, how are people really saved? What is the gospel? You know, how many circumcision, uh, deceitful teachings of circumcision, different types are going on today? Where are the errors today? Why are there denominations that fracture the church into a thousand pieces today? And it's okay. Yeah, yeah, we can't change it, you know, and people, everybody has a right to what they believe. And I mean, just it's just deception on top of deception. It's so thick, you can't see your way through it. I'm not angry about it. it. It has disturbed me. And I am passionate about it. But my heart bleeds for the church. You know, Christ's heart bled for us. Our heart ought to bleed for one another. When I say the church, I, I don't mean an institution. I mean uh, the people. I mean all the people who have a heart for God, all the people who have been bought with the price of the blood of the Lamb and His sufferings. All all who have been brought into the kingdom of God and desire to live for Him live best when the church is at its best. You know, discipleship is so important. And until you get into a group when you're young, I know I did six years or so, struggled so hard because I didn't know another Christian. I got saved through Billy Graham on TV, and there was no one. And I, I understand the need for the church, but I also understand that I was—I had the Holy Spirit living within me during those six years. And like the disciples who went and got into proudful things, I got into sin as well. Until 
Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit within is released and he does a, a work in us that just changes everything and goes on changing it. And the more we seek him by his grace and the more we humble ourselves by his grace, the more we see him by his grace, the more we understand and the more we can disciple other people. And we stop being the institution and we, we start being the body of Christ the way it's meant to be. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. It's not complicated, but it's difficult. And so I pray for my hearers that they would, by the power of the indwelling Christ, let go of the traditions of men. And as I heard of my brother who's, like I've heard a number of times now, that the churches are being given to people who want to start a church. And when I say churches, I mean church buildings are being given to people who want to start a church. They're meeting in a school, wherever they're meeting. And it's a gift, and it's a wonderful thing. It's not a wonderful thing. Keeping the church small but connected um, gives people the responsibility that they need in their Christian life. All people need the responsibility of discipling others, of maturing to the place where they can disciple others, they can shepherd others. When we, ha- we keep that to a, f- a precious few, we hurt the, the multitude. Lord, we don't want to hurt, hurt the multitude today any more than it's been hurt. We, we, sh- we want to come back together and be responsible as, as a multitude of disciple makers who, who, who share the shortcomings, the sins, the temptations, the trials, the warfare with the devil, the world, and it's all that it, it allures us. We all need one another, and we need to be in a discipling relationship, and we need to be growing to disciple others and see people evangelize and come to Christ. We need to be the church. We don't need to be an institution. Lord, I recognize this. Bring my hearers to recognize this, my readers to recognize this, both through the the Jesus you need to know, and through I will build my church, soon to be released. I ask this in Jesus' name.